Welcome to another wonderful edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me as always is Christian Redshaw. Christian, uh, anything interesting happening today? Well, I'm your other co-host here. And uh, yeah, you know what? Um, I have nothing to say. So you caught me off guard with that question. And uh, <laughs> I'm just going to change the subject awkwardly and ask you who's the guest today our, our guest that's what's important our guest today is a big big fan of the show uh judy selby uh, she's based in new york a partner at kennedy law firm and then she specializes in cyber insurance so i think it's gonna be a really really engaging conversation it's going to be sweet let's get into that yeah i know how much insurance uh, gets you up in the morning so sure let's does. have that conversation and we'll, we'll bring judy in it's fun for the whole family let's do it <laughs> Today, we're joined by Judy Selby. Judy, thank you so much for taking time of your busy schedule to join us today. Such a pleasure. So I'm, I'm a big fan of yours and, and your podcast. So thanks for the invitation. Thank you, Judy. That, 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 it's, that means the world to us. We always enjoy having fans on, on, on the show. Um, I'm just wondering, maybe just, from, uh, just to start off with, so, just so our viewers and listeners can better understand about your career journey. What, what sort of tell us about your narrative and what's brought you to where you are today? Sure. Well, this year I've been... I'll be practicing law for 30 years and all of it has been in the insurance space. And over a decade ago, I did, uh, you know, took the deep dive into uh, cyber and privacy related issues and uh, went up to MIT and took a bunch of courses up there to try to understand uh, the issues better so I could um, represent my clients better and also uh, converse with technology people uh, better. Kind of, you know, sometimes I find there's a translation gap, you know, between civilians, for lack of a better term, and technical folks. And so trying to bridge that gap by, um, by you know, as I say, taking the deep dive and some really technical issues. So I took about four classes up there and a lot of study. And so now my practice focuses uh, primarily on uh, cyber insurance and, uh, you know, helping companies manage those events, working for the carriers, helping companies manage those events um, uh, through the benefits that the insurance provides. Yeah, it's a really interesting journey that you've been on, Judy. And I know you and I have been connected on, on LinkedIn for quite some time. I always appreciate your your insights and wisdom. And you know, we're definitely going to be <laughs> tapping into that uh, during our conversation. But I thought maybe we could just start off in terms of um, just explain to our, our viewers and listeners, where are we in the maturity curve right now when it comes to cyber insurance? I mean, I know cyber insurance has been out for whatever, 10 ish years. Um, you know, one of the more interesting things to happen to the insurance industry, I'm sure in a in hundred plus years, but w w where are we right now in that maturity curve? No doubt. No doubt. And it, it's been a little bit longer than 10 years, but um, it's become much more prominent over the past 10 years and certainly over the past couple of years. I think the, um, you know, we, we always refer to it as a nascent um, product and, uh, and, and very early on in the maturity stage, but, um, and, and it was in what we would call a soft market for a long time, uh, up until maybe the last 18 months. And, and that's kind of a term of art in the insurance world, which means it's, which basically means it's a buyer's market. 
it, it was, you know, uh, cyber insurance is kind of a green field space for insurers. There's not a lot of those left. Uh, and a lot of carriers were getting in. Traditional carriers, as well as what we call insurtechs and kind of new players in this space, uh, there was, you know, competition for market share. And uh, the underwriting wasn't, uh, you know, the most stringent. And then about 18 months ago, everything kind of changed. And so I think there was a, um, a, a really um, abrupt and substantial uh, maturation of the market, driven primarily by ransomware. And the thing about ransomware that's so insidious is, and you guys know this better than I do, uh, you know, the, the, threat, the threat actors have become much more sophisticated. And so we're dealing with a lot more situations where, you know, they would be in the system for a long time, accessing a lot of information potentially, um, you know, before they were even noticed, exfiltrating data, and then encrypting data. And so from an operational standpoint and a legal standpoint, it creates you know, a whole host of issues. From the insurance perspective, it also creates a whole host of issues because these events would not only trigger the typical incident response coverage that you would see in, in a regular old data breach situation, you know, where the breach council is hired and the notification firms and the forensic guys and, you know, everybody would come in, but also business interruption coverage if there was an operational impact on the enterprise, you know, where it couldn't operate anymore. And then when you combine the exfiltration with the ransomware, uh, then you, ha you, you have to do all the notification, but you also risk the third-party lawsuits, especially here in the U.S. And so it was it was like a big bucket of cold water, you know, being thrown you know, in, the, in the face of the cyber insurance industry. And so what we saw then, um, and I like your, 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 your term uh, maturity, the, the maturation occurred really on the uh, underwriting side where this, the, the scrutiny got a lot more, uh, uh, detailed and looking at the controls the companies had in place. And Dom, you probably know this because I'm always posting something on LinkedIn about this, but for, for many, many years, over a decade, I've been saying that if you just look at a cyber insurance application, even back then, it's kind of a good checklist for a good cybersecurity and privacy um, uh, plan for your enterprise. That's really true now. Now that the underwriting has gotten a little bit more rigorous, it's really true now. And what I hear from certain underwriters, and I should preface this by saying, uh, every carrier kind of does their own thing. There's no standard policy. They do their own underwriting. They have their own applications. Um, but but I do hear uh, over and over in the market that you know if you don't have MFA, it's a non-starter for you, you know, things that, so it's kind of almost like the uh, property insurance space where the loss control services that the insurers provide 
uh, like if you own a warehouse and you want to get property insurance, they're probably going to come in there and say, we want to see your, your exit doors. We want to see your sprinklers. We want to see what you're doing uh, around these predictable kind of losses. Uh, so they don't happen. It's to both parties benefit. Uh, the same thing is happening, I think, with cyber insurance, where the 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 carriers are providing a, an additional kind of push to get companies to kind of get their house in order with regards to cyber and privacy. And so I think it benefits both sides. Now, the downside of the hard market is that the premiums are going up. And the, um, the capacity, meaning the coverage being written, is going down, which is creating some issues. Um, I can give you an example. Let's say that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a manufacturing company, and for the past five years, I've had a $10 million primary policy. That's the first layer policy. And then I had a $10 million excess policy on top of that. Uh, let's say my primary carrier now says, um, because of market conditions, we're going to only write $5 million for you. My excess carrier may not drop down to that $5 million layer. So they may say, we'll still, we'll still write a policy for you, but it will only attach at 10 million. So that leaves 5 million between five and 10 uninsured. And so we're starting to see those types of issues now. And, um, and so, you know, if companies needed any more, you know, impetus to get their, get their cybersecurity house in order, this all has to be helping to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that, that, that's, that's, I appreciate that example. That really helped to, to illustrate that further, Judy. That, that, that's fantastic insight. Yeah, thank you so much, Judy. I, I want to jump back into the underwriting process in a minute here. But if we could kind of, as we're talking to business leaders, um, if we could put really in layman's terms or business terms, um, when we're looking at cyber coverage, and we could just break that down just for, for, for uh, simplicity really quickly, what is covered in a typical cyber insurance policy. I mean, you've got your first party coverages and you've got your third party coverages. And that's kind of the very, you know, base traditional approach to cyber insurance. Can you kind of just break down, you know, where cyber insurance uh, fits in and what, what it provides in the risk management process? Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's kind of a novel product in that, you know, as you say, it, it provides the first party and third party coverages. I'll talk about first party first. To me, especially for small and mid-sized companies, the first party coverage is really a lifeline uh, for companies. Uh, the most carriers have a uh, a panel, a pre-approved panel of service providers that they use all the time that have been vetted and that do this stuff all the time, and uh, they are. It's typically the process is typically headed up by a lawyer, and and there's a lot of reasons for that. Particularly in the U.S., you want to try to get attorney-client privilege to apply to your response to the incident, and a, a good incident response attorney will will know. They have done this a million times. They they will know the laws, they will know the regulations. 
they will also know the regulators. And so if, if they have a, a good relationship with a the regulator, they know each other, they've worked with each other over the years, and they say, listen, we need a little bit more time to get our notifications out because of this reason, that credibility will be there. So working with reputable, experienced counsel is really key. But those attorneys also act kind of as a quarterback of a whole team, depending on the incident. Uh, these, other, these other service providers may need to be involved, uh, like a forensic vendor, if there's a, if there's a uh, you know, infiltration, that type of thing. What data was impacted? Where are they? Are the bad guys still in there? How do we get them out? You know, how do we restore our data? Um, so this team, I call them a cyber SWAT team, comes in and really kind of helps with this whole process. But the coverage typically provides for those type of services, notification if you have to send out the letters. So the incident response coverage under the first party coverage typically covers all of that, you know, and everything's subject to the terms and exclusions. I wouldn't be a lawyer if I didn't say something like that. <laughs> but um uh, there's usually very broad coverage there, which is, like I say, a lifeline for a company whose hair is on fire, you know, dealing with, uh, honestly, the worst day of their lives, which is probably going to go on for six months or so, or, you know, you never know. Um, but there's also data restoration coverage that you can get. Um, there can be social engineering coverage. You know, if you have a business email compromise, something like that, that can be really, really valuable. Sometimes it will have requirements that you uh, have tried to validate, you know, the, the request. You know, if you get an email that says, you know, oh, hello, you know, uh, client or uh, you know, uh, vendor, we, we now have a new bank account you know, in a different country and please wire, you know, everything over here instead. Sometimes the policy will say, well, did you double check that? Did you confirm that? That type of thing. A really, really for valuable first party coverage, especially now with ransomware, is business interruption coverage. So if you, if you, if your business is impact, you know, if you have an operational impact and you can imagine, I'm, I'm sure you guys deal with this all the time, you know, when you have that lost income because you're not running, I'll take a really easy example. You're an online retailer and you're knocked offline. And so you're not, you're not selling anything. There's coverage for that. There's also coverage. It's sometimes called contingent business interruption coverage. Sometimes it's called dependent business interruption coverage. That's for a situation where Nothing happens to you, to the insured company, but it, but a cyber event happens to your business partner, and they 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 are they have a, a cyber incident. It impacts your ability to do business, so you can have coverage for that too. So now you know in this age where we're all so dependent on each other, and uh, you know third party service providers and your business partners, so hard to vet. So hard for uh, it's it's hard enough to know what's going on in your own enterprise, let alone you know your business partners, and so that can be extremely valuable coverage. On the other side of the policy is the third party coverage. That's for you know the yeah you get sued by uh, you know consumers after a data breach or regulatory coverage. The regulators you know investigate or whatever. All the coverage is very nuanced. You have to read it. 
as I said, there's no standard policy. So you could look at policy A and it will say, we cover you for um, a security incident. Cover, policy B says we cover you for a security incident. And you say, oh, they're the same. Now let's look at the definition of security incident and they could be very different. So the devil is in the details, mm -hmm. um, it, it, unfortunately. But. Yeah, no, I appreciate you breaking that down. It, it leads my mind into something here, which is, this is a nasty, these are nasty scenarios that clients of your clients say will find themselves in. And I think, okay, well, certainly it's better not to be there in the first place. It's better if ideally if we can to manage the risk first, minimize that so it doesn't happen. And if it does, we've got a practice plan ready to roll out so we can really minimize the impact of this. Where it's leading me is to think about uninsurable cyber risks. At the end of the day, when we're managing risks, you know, we all care about that, right? We, we care about these companies, whether it's the insurer, whether it's the actual end client. You know, I think about things like, you know, things, things that you kind of touched on there when you're talking about business interruption. Yes, an insurance policy can certainly make you whole uh, financially in that sense. But from a reputational perspective and from a actually bringing your customers that have left back, assuming they have left, um, it's interesting because it almost falls outside of the insurance ability to, to, to rectify that underlying issue or, or preventing you from having to go through um, a, a litigation uh, process, which can be uh, stressful, right? Um, you know, there's, there's just different, um, different elements of the, the regulatory scrutiny that you mentioned as well. Um, that's a pain. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a long-term pain. So I'm just thinking it is absolutely critical, all the things that you're laying out. But I, I just wonder if you've, um, what, what, like what your perspective is on those kind of uninsurable risks. And maybe there's, there's some that I'm missing here too. Yeah. You raised some really good points about that. And, and, you know, the, I think the insurance industry and others have been looking at that a long time. Like what, what is the actual impact to the brand after a cyber incident? And um, we know the securities lawyers are looking at that for sure. <laughs> uh, but um, some carriers, by the way, do offer some reputational loss coverage, by the way. And um, it's, it's kind of a, um, uh, you know, it's, it's usually like a time element, uh, which is a term of art in the insurance industry, where it's limited to a time period where if you can associate certain types of losses to to income based on uh, uh, you know the, the fallout from an incident there could be some coverage there but I still understand your point if your customers are mad at you they're still mad at you but but one one great thing that doesn't get enough uh, attention I think in the marketplace is that many cyber carriers offer free or discounted proactive cyber security services, to their insureds, you know, once you once you're an insured, and, and last I heard, just in anecdotal things I hear, just in the marketplace, um, the uptake of these services is kind of low, which is unfortunate because I think people are like, well, I'm insured, so now you know, okay. But these services can be really good. It's everything from, you know, maybe um, um, an assessment, a cybersecurity assessment, free or discounted, working with one of the companies that provides a, um, uh, a scoring mechanism, like a security scorecard or a bit site kind of score, 
for your company, uh, meeting with uh, an incident response attorney, one of those IR attorneys, sometimes called a breach coach, uh, companies that will help you prepare your incident response plan and do a tabletop exercise with you. Uh, those types of things that can really help you avoid getting in this situation in the first place. And, you know, I still think, and you guys know this better than I do, um, we, we're still dealing with a, a reality where a lot of people just don't think it's ever going to happen to them, you know, even now, even now. And, and that was one of the reasons why cyber insurance as, as a product was kind of off to a slow start. And people didn't think they needed it because who would want my data? Who would want my, you know, I think that's changing now, but still that, you know, that it's kind of, out, it's kind of, you know, uh, astonishing that somebody would offer you a free, you know, excellent cybersecurity service and you wouldn't take it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But it happens. Yes. Or on the other side, too, if you're able to prove to, as let's say, as, as an end client, if they can demonstrate that they've taken certain actions, you know, in theory, in the way I think insurance works in other categories, is that you could actually negotiate potentially broader coverage, maybe take some exclusions off, maybe have a more competitive premium if you can, you know, market the risk in that way. Yeah, I think I think the better, you know, the, the, you know, you put your best foot forward in this situation and, you know, the your ability to, in all honesty, your, your ability now to negotiate terms is not what it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. But still, but still, you really want to put your best foot forward. <laughs> yeah, yes. for sure. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, I guess my last question before I turn it back over to uh uh, Dominic is, you know, what, what do you think, you know, given ransomware and given the obvious losses that cyber insurance uh, market has taken, what do you think um, could reduce that or say improve the loss ratio slash profitability of, of insurers? Like, would it, would it not be in their best interest to, rather than provide these services, require <laughs> their clients to <laughs> take them as a condition, as a subject to insurance coverage, maybe? Well, we, we see a lot stricter scrutiny around a ransomware in particular, and some insurers are, uh, they have supplemental applications just for ransomware. So they really are taking the deep dive and... Uh, you know, if you want the coverage from that carrier, you're going to have to provide, you know, good responses there. They're also approaching the risk on the other side, too, by, you know, maybe sublimiting the coverage for ransomware or using co-insurance, uh, kind of a, a, a sharing of the cost with the insured. Um, Again, it comes down to what you said before, you know, the, the, the better controls you have in place, the more you can show on the front end that you're, you're dealing with this and you're, you're aware of it and you're taking these steps and you have these controls in place and, and training, employee training, things of that nature. Um, it will help you to, you know, get as much coverage as you, as you can get at, at a better price. But I can't, I can't sugarcoat it. The prices really have gone up uh, quite a bit because, as you said, the loss ratios are, are all off. And I think it's in everybody's interest. Policyholders, insurers, our country, um, 
yours as well. Uh, <laughs> our continent. <laughs> that, our continent. <laughs> that the that the cyber insurance industry survives. Like we we need we need this industry to go forward and survive because I personally believe that insurance risk transfer is a critical part of your cyber risk management program. Agreed. Yeah, and I can't think of a better note to end our uh, our podcast on today, Judy. I mean, the time just flew by. I mean, I, Christian and I were just, uh, uh, I think we're mutually thinking we're going to have to have you on for a part two because this was just an absolutely riveting conversation and we could probably spend hours talking with you. This has just been absolutely... Just Still incredible. more ground to cover here on yeah. this one. Yeah, we have dozens more My questions. <laughs> Thanks for putting a spotlight on this issue. I think it's really important for companies and anything I can do to help kind of evangelize around the product, I'm, I'm thrilled to. That, that's amazing, Judy. Yeah, you'll, you'll definitely be on again, but thank you again for, for, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for what you do, guys. Yeah, thank you, Judy. And, Appreciate it. And uh, Christian and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. Uh, that was that was honestly one of the most interesting conversations that we've had, I'd say, on, on the show. And that's been through 100 plus episodes. I mean, I think Judy had some really, really interesting insights um, around cyber insurance. And I really appreciated the language and terminology in terms of how she described it. V- very down to earth and very, very straightforward to understand. But you're the insurance guy. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know how, what you thought of that conversation. Was the insurance guy. Wise, um, wise, sorry. But you know what? Uh, wow. Um, still there in, so still in your DNA, though. <laughs> it's still there. It's, there's still traces of insurance uh, on the inside of me here. But yeah, you know what? The, the, Coverages. I think it was important for business leaders to understand a where cyber insurance fits into managing your risk. Where does it fit in that picture, and what are you covered for? You know those first party coverages, business interruption, if you get sued, all of those things. She did, she did a great job of uh, breaking that down. So go back to that, rewind the tape, and and listen to that if you want to get up to speed there. We're very, very grateful to, to Judy for coming on the show today. Um, uh, we really hope that uh, all the listeners and viewers out there enjoyed that conversation as well. Um, and as always, we want to extend a special thank you to all of our loyal listeners and viewers who tune in each and every week. Uh, if you did miss an episode, uh, please do check out old ones on uh, your favorite podcasting platform or on the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Mm-hmm.